morning. Good to see all of you this morning. And as Mike said, Merry Christmas. Three weeks from today. Hard to believe. Hard to believe. Speaking about the things to come, I hope you always feel that you don't want to miss a Sunday here at the Oasis, but I want to especially encourage you to be here next Sunday. It's a Sunday you do not want to miss, not only because of our worship and our time in the Word next Sunday. In fact, we're going to be uh, doing our first of several Christmas messages next week from the Gospel of Luke. But at the end of both the 9 o'clock and the 11 o'clock services next week, Scott Beatty, one of our elders here at the church, is going to be uh, laying out our vision for phase two that's coming. And uh, those of you that are in attendance are going to get to see some of the very first renderings of what that building and that facility is going to look like. So you're not going to want to miss being here next Sunday. Today, we are in Luke's Gospel, chapter 10, the first 24 verses, as we continue the story of Jesus. And uh, last week, as Mike was saying, we, we talked about the importance, the essential nature of listening to the Lord and following him. And at, at the end of chapter 9, Jesus is encouraging those that want to follow him that following him is not a casual affair. It requires discipline. It requires focused commitment. And Jesus is going to continue to teach and train his disciples. And we know that we can learn through listening. We also learn through doing, through actually doing things. And that's why today, in this passage, we're going to see that Jesus is actually mobilizing his followers to get out there and start doing it, okay? I will tell you that I have learned way more over the years about how to teach God's word and how to be a pastor and how to be a better spiritual leader by just doing it and learning you know, from my mistakes and learning it as I do it than I ever did in Bible college or seminary. You, you, can, you can learn that way, but you got to start doing it. And so I want to encourage all of us, and especially those of you that are even watching this morning, we've got to get past the talking stage and we've got to just jump in at times and just start doing it. That's how we learn as well. A couple other things. In this passage, Jesus is going to remind us that when you and I choose to follow him as a disciple, and remember, not all Christians are disciples. All disciples are Christians, but not all Christians are disciples. But when we choose to follow him as a disciple, we will find the three things that almost every human being is searching for on earth. Every human being searches for significance in their life, for security in their life, and for satisfaction or happiness in their life. If you ask almost every human being, what is it that you want out of life? Guess what? 
they're going to probably at some point share those three things. I'm looking for significance, I'm looking for security, and I'm looking for satisfaction. And Jesus is going to remind us that all three of those things can be found when we follow him as a disciple. The things that we want more than anything else can be found through following him as a disciple. So today, in these 24 verses of Luke chapter 10, Jesus is going to lay out the hallmarks of living with kingdom purpose. What are the hallmarks of living with kingdom purpose? And for the sake of sort of an outline and even for me to be able to organize it in my own mind and remember it, I've sort of divided this up then into three sections. There's a mission, there's a message, and there's a mindset. A mission, a message, and a mindset. And, and they all sort of are interwoven together. They're not like separate. They're, they're all tied together as you and I follow the Lord as a disciple. But again, remember, it has to go from just learning and listening, a classroom type setting, which we understand a classroom with Jesus can be anywhere. We've seen that already, side of a lake, in a boat, wherever, that every part of our life can be a classroom, but then there also comes that point where he pushes us out of the classroom and he wants us to do it, to do it. To learn not only by listening, but to learn by doing. So you'll notice in verse 1, Jesus began to appoint 72 others to ministry. So if you add the 72 to the 12 already, now you're up to 84. 84 disciples. So note something about that. First of all, Jesus isn't about a big crowd. Jesus can accomplish more with a few committed, devoted disciples than he can a large group of Christians who are uncommitted. So that's why the Great Commission is, let's go and make disciples. So Jesus is appointing 72 here, added to the 12. And these 84 are really going to start making a difference in the world around them. That should be an encouragement to us because that's about a third the size of our church. So if 84 can make a difference in the world in which they, they live, then about 250 of us can make an even bigger difference if we're truly devoted and committed. Note a couple things about the hallmarks of living at kingdom purpose when it comes to our mission. He appoints them to go out, notice, two by two. Partners, partnerships. Jesus never intended for his followers, his ministers, to do it alone. He always wanted to show them you need to have a partner. You need to be part of a partnership. The Bible talks about this and models this for us. In Ecclesiastes 4, verses 9 and 10, 
the Bible tells us two are better than one because they can reap more benefit for their labor. For if the one falls down, then they have someone to help them up. But pity the person who falls down and has no one beside of them to help them up. Over and over again, the Bible talks to us about the importance of having a partner in life and in ministry. To be mutually encouraged, mutually strengthened, iron sharpening iron. If you have a partner or you're part of a partnership, especially a great one, thank God for that partner and that partnership. And not only thank God for that partner and that partnership, thank your partner. Thank them. Show them how much you appreciate the fact that, that you all are called alongside of each other in order to accomplish the will of God and to bring glory to God within his kingdom. You can go all the way back to a book we're studying on Wednesday night and see a partnership like Moses and Aaron. You can move through the Old Testament and find partnerships like David and Jonathan, even ones you might not think about, like Mordecai and Esther was a partnership. Over and over again, there were partnerships. David and Jonathan would have been a great partnership in the Old Testament. You come up to the New Testament and you have partnerships like Paul and Silas or Paul and Timothy or a married couple like Aquila and Priscilla. They take on many different forms and, and you can have short-term partners or you can have long-term partners. But the idea is Jesus never wanted us to do it alone. Two by two. The second thing I want us to know about this mission, if you will, is that notice what Jesus says in verse 2. The harvest, he says, is plentiful. There are so many people to gather into the kingdom of God and to grow up in the kingdom of God, but the workers are few. In other words, there's never enough workers. Never enough servants for all the need to either bring people into the kingdom or to work with the people who are already there. We know that. It doesn't matter what ministry you're a part of, what church you're a part of, or anything. Everybody's always looking for more workers, more helpers. More. That's just reality. Jesus says that. So what is his remedy? What is his prescription to us who are following him as disciples? Is it to get up in church, let's say, using that as an example, and put people on a guilt trip who are not serving? To try to twist people's arms? Is it to pile more work on those who are already serving? No. What is the prescription right there in verse 2? Ask the Lord of the harvest to send forth laborers into his harvest. Pray. That's Jesus' answer. That we, as God's people, should be praying to him, asking him to move upon people's hearts and bringing those people forward. Because first of all, he knows who's ready. 
He knows who fits what positions we're looking for and needing way more than what we do. And so instead of getting up and trying to cajole, cajole people and, and all these different strategies that we have in our modern churches for getting people to step forward, Jesus simply says, come to me, the sovereign Lord of the harvest, and you ask me to move on people's hearts, and that's how we bring people into service. I will say to you that that's why even here at the Oasis, we even do the whole giving financial thing the way we do it. Our philosophy of money and giving and all of that is based on this same principle. If God is truly in something, then he will move upon his people's hearts to step up and give and support it. You don't need me up here always talking about money and trying to twist people's arms and make them feel guilty for not giving this amount or whatever like many churches are involved in today. No. I pray. I ask the Lord to move upon people's hearts and let that be between them and the Lord as far as their giving, just like we should in serving. That's the hallmark of kingdom purpose, is not only that we are part of a partnership as we do ministry and serve the Lord, but that we, when we have needs that come up in our ministries and in our service and in our lives, that we pray to the Lord of the harvest and ask him to move upon people's hearts, to bring people forward into the harvest. Third, notice verse three. First word and an exclamation, go! <laughs> Jesus isn't about living as spectators He's about getting people to participate, to get up off of their backside and to go, to start living with kingdom purpose every day. Again, a kingdom purpose that will help us discover significance, security, and satisfaction in our lives like nothing else can or will. Go, and again, it's with an exclamation. Get out there every day and wake up every day realizing that I can live every day as a Christian and as a disciple of Jesus Christ with kingdom purpose. Significance. There is a purpose to every day that I live. If I'm living for Christ, there is significance to my life every day that I can bring into it. No matter what I'm doing or where I'm at or who I'm interacting with, I can always live with kingdom purpose and significance as I go under the direction of Jesus Christ. But don't miss the next phrase. As you and I are going, Jesus says, oh, uh, and I'm sending you out like lambs surrounded by wolves. In other words, Jesus is saying, look, I'm not going to try to sugarcoat this. 
You following me as a disciple and doing ministry and serving me, it's not going to be easy. It's going to be filled with challenges, and you're going to face constant opposition to your ministry and to your service as you live with kingdom purpose. Because you're a lamb surrounded by wolves. By the way, normally, wolves eat lambs. But Jesus here then also is implying something. He's saying, I know what I'm doing, and I'm the Lord, and so therefore, even though I know, and I want you to know that I'm sending you out there into the world as a lamb amongst wolves, that I'll protect you. I'm your security. I get it's dangerous. I get it's fraught with all kinds of challenges and difficulties and all of that. I understand that more than even you do. I know that. But if you go, you can trust me to watch over you and protect you and be your security and provide what you need as you go in my name. That's why I, I sometimes scratch my head when I hear Christians, you know, sort of flabbergasted at, at how difficult it is to be a Christian in this world. And I'm like, do you not know what the Bible says? Like, are you expecting it to be easy? And then sometimes I hear Christians conversing about, you know, the, the way of the world and, and, and where things are going. And I'm thinking, and, and that surprises you. Why? Uh, don't you know it's always been difficult and it always will be difficult and it's only going to get maybe more difficult? I don't understand why Christians are looking for this situation in the world where everything's going to just fall into place for us and somehow, you know, things are going to be the way we want them to be in this world. God never promised us that. Never. He said 2,000 years ago, I'm sending you out as lambs surrounded by wolves. So, he paints a very real picture for us. But he's also telling us in that, I got you. And, and even though this world can be dark, I'm sending you out as my light. And you can be very effective. And you can bring glory to me if you follow me as a disciple and live with kingdom purpose. Having a partner which is very important in the challenges that we face. Praying, another hallmark of living in kingdom purpose, but also realizing that as we go, it's not going to be easy. There's always going to be opposition and challenges to living with kingdom purpose. Then you come to verse 4, where Jesus again says, look, I need you not, as you're going, to take a big bag of money. First of all, you're out there in, in, in Jesus' day, you're out there carrying a big bag of money, you're going to be a target for a thief. So Jesus says to his followers, I don't want my followers to carry a big bag of money around. Trust me to take care of you and provide. Don't take a big suitcase. That's really what that verse is saying there for your clothes and your extra shoes and all that, travel light. 
And don't even greet anybody on the road as you're going. Why? Because Jesus wants to create this mindset within his followers as well to not only travel light, but, but to not be diverted and distracted so easily from their mission, from what he has for them. And to also have a very loose attachment to earthly concerns that so many other people are always concerned about. What are people most concerned about? You know, the things that Jesus talks about that we shouldn't worry about because God the Father will take care of us, just like he clothes and provides for the birds and all that. So Jesus says, don't worry about money so much. Don't let money be the driving force one way or the other. And, and don't be always concerned about what you're going to wear and what kind of shoes and all that. It says, let those things be at the bottom of the priority list. Concentrate on the mission that I have for you. We know what the world gets caught up in. They get caught up in all those things. They pursue all those things. They make those things the priority of their life. And Jesus says, no, 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 not my disciples. Live with a sense of urgency. I got to be about the master's business. And I can't allow these other things and even people along my way to stop for every conversation along the highway. I've got to be doing what the master has called me to do. I've got to not get so easily distracted, not get so easily diverted. So again, Jesus is laying out hallmarks of kingdom living and especially of mission and starting to talk a little bit about mindset here. But then in verse 5, he starts to lay out also hallmarks of the message that we are to carry with us. And notice what he says in verse 5 to these 72. He says, when you enter a house, first, protos in the Greek, meaning primarily or before anything else or in first place, first, say, message. Peace be upon this house. Our first message as we move through life should be a message of peace and blessing to those that we come in contact with. Not, you're not doing it right. Not critical assessment. Not judgment, you know. There were times even when I grew up in church as a child where I grew up in that environment where, you know, I had people around me who were very much like when they would go out into the world, it was tell people they're going to hell and tell them all the stuff that they're doing wrong and why they're not doing it right and how this, they could do it better, and all of this. And Jesus is teaching us something very important. First, first hallmark of our message, peace. Peace. Don't look for a fight. Don't start a fight. Don't pick a fight first. First, take a message of peace and blessing with you. The second hallmark of this message 
is in verse 13, where he says, I want you to heal the sick in that town. In other words, start meeting the needs and ministering to those who are around you. There's that principle that people need to first know that we care before they care about what we know. Or is it sort of said it another way? Before they'll care about what we know, they've got to know that we care. And so Jesus is saying, when you go to that town, first take a message of peace and start ministering and meeting needs in that town. And then say, the kingdom of God is upon you. Meaning that not only is it to be a message whose hallmark is one of peace, but one of the presence of God. God is amongst you. Because if there's the kingdom of God there, then that means the king of the kingdom has to be there as well. But notice something. Back in verse 1, Jesus was sending these 72 people out before he got there. They were to prepare the way. So the king wasn't there yet, but oh, yes, he was. He was there through the presence of his people. His power and authority that he gave them was very evident in that town. So, yes, he was there through them. The kingdom was there through them as they ministered, as they worked, as they shared, as they met needs. The kingdom was very present there because the presence of God was there through his people, just like God wants to see it today. As God sends us out, God not only sends us out with a message of peace, but a message of his presence. And a message that not only is picked up through the ears, but also hopefully picked up through the eyes and the other senses of those around us, that people can sort of know, hey, God is here through them that God is in them, that the fingerprints of God are all over them, that, that, that there's something different about them and the way they move and the way they work and, and what they say and how they say it. And, and that's what Jesus is trying to get these 72 to see as they go. But let me also say this. Again, just like Jesus talked about sending us out like sheep surrounded by wolves, he also says, guys and gals, you need to be messengers who persevere. Because the message and the ministry that I send you out to do, you will face continual rejection. And you can't get discouraged easily if you're going to be one of my disciples living with kingdom purpose every day. Because you're going to face way more rejection than you face positive reception. And Jesus talks about that. He says, you're going to go into towns and they're not going to welcome you. And then if you look down a little bit further in the passage, I think I, think I got the verses mixed up. I think verse 13 is where he says, if they listen to you, they listen to me. And if they reject you, they reject me. See, Jesus understands there's going to be rejection there. 
So Jesus is saying, you got to be prepared for that and be okay with it, you see. If you can't take being rejected, understand something. It's not personal, Jesus is saying. You have to understand it. You're going as my representative. So if they're rejecting you, it's they're rejecting me. You're just my representative. You're my ambassador. Don't take it personal. And don't get discouraged because you're going to face way more rejection in your life and ministry than you do positive reception. I had to learn this very early on in my young life as someone who played football, basketball, and baseball in school. I'll just pick one of the sports, baseball. I had to learn very early on that a great hitter in baseball, a great hitter, even in the major leagues, was only successful three out of every 10 times. 30%, or we would say batting 300, yeah, that's, that's incredible. That's really good. The average even major league baseball player is somewhere between two out of every 10 times and three out of every 10 times. So that means that eight out of 10 times, they're not successful. They're, they fail. You have to learn to deal with that. I remember playing basketball, realizing that you were a really good basketball player if you could have a field goal percentage that was higher than 50%. In other words, it meant for every one shot you made, you missed one, too. You had to be okay with that. I think sometimes as Christians, it's like we feel like we've got to hit a home run every time. That's just not reality. It's not going to happen. And we've got to be okay with that. I know, like, even Nicole and I talk about that as far as even our ministry. Sometimes there are Sundays I walk away, and I never really feel good about any of my messages, okay? I'm just going to tell you. But there are some Sundays I walk away and go, oh, man, those poor people. I just, ugh. That's why some, some people sometimes ask me, Pastor, do you ever watch our services? I'm like, well, I watch the worship, but I turn it off after that. I, I just can't, can't watch myself. And there are times, I don't think I'm speaking out of turn here for Nicole, there's times where she goes, you know, I just, that, that worship set or that, you know, it just, I just didn't feel like, you know, it was the best, you know, like either I did it well or whatever. We, we all feel... In ministry, you're going to feel that way. It's just part of it. We've got to get over always feeling like we've got to, you know, every time we have an event or every time that somehow it's got to be that. No, it's just, but go and start doing and learning and growing. That's what Jesus is looking for. So there's that as well. But then we come to this. Jesus ends this passage on talking a lot about mindset. Mood, if you will. Because notice in verse 17, when these 72 return from their time of ministry and living with kingdom purpose, they return with joy. And they can't believe that part of it is that Jesus has given them power and authority over these demonic spirits. And they say, 
They are just overjoyed at the power that they have through Jesus and, and the fact that these demons submit to them in Jesus' name. And not that there's anything wrong with being joyful over the power and authority that God gives us and, and when we can use that and, and, and even seeing how God uses in service, but notice what Jesus says in verse 20. He says, nevertheless, he said, instead of just rejoicing over the fact that these spirits submit to you, the greatest blessing is to rejoice that your names stand written in heaven. Jesus says the greatest blessing in our life as those who are living with kingdom purpose and are following him as a disciple isn't the power and authority that he gives us and even the accomplishments that we make as we serve and minister for him. The greatest blessing will always be our position as a child of God and our possession of eternal life. That is the source of continuous joy because it is an appreciation for the grace of God. The word rejoice and the word for grace are very closely tied together. So the more you and I learn in our following Jesus to appreciate his grace, the more we will live a life of rejoicing, of praise, of worship. And that's why Jesus even says, rejoice that your names, notice, stand written. In other words, Jesus was all about eternal security. In fact, God doesn't offer us temporary life in the New Testament. He offers us eternal life through Jesus Christ. Because if I can't do anything to earn through works my position with God, then what could I ever do to lose something that I could not earn in the first place? And that's why I've always thought, how can someone who believes that I cannot work to earn my salvation, because it's grace, how then after I get saved do I feel like I've got to work to keep myself saved? No. Our names stand written simply because we have placed our faith in Jesus Christ, and it's all grace. And so Jesus is saying, that is why we wake up every day as his disciples, praising him, exalting him, worshiping him, magnifying him, celebrating him, because everything we are, everything we have, and everything we will be throughout eternity is all because of his grace not because we deserve it or we've earned it in any way. And then I love verse 21. It says, Jesus rejoiced in the Holy Spirit. Jesus was a joyful person. And by the way, this word means to jump for joy or leap for joy. You ever picture Jesus jumping around for joy because he was so joyful? Well, guess what? He did. And I think you're going to see it in heaven one day. Jesus wasn't this guy that sat there in a chair, just sit soaking sour, bless me, I dare you type of attitude. 
Jesus walked through life every day with the joy of the Lord, and he's showing his own followers here. When you and I allow the Holy Spirit to just take over our lives, we will have a mood and a mindset of joy and rejoicing. In fact, at the end of verse 21, he says, Yes and amen, gracious Father. I love what you're doing, Lord. I love how you're doing it. I love who you're revealing yourself to because you're, you're not revealing yourself to those that think they know everything and to the proud. You're revealing yourself to, to, to those who come to you as a child, who's totally reliant and dependent. I love that, Jesus says. Yes and amen, Father. Because it's all due to your gracious and good will. And then go over to verse 23. The final part of this, these hallmarks of living with kingdom purpose, whether it's in our mission, in our message, or our mindset or mood, is that we truly appreciate how blessed we are as the people of God. Because he took his disciples even and took them away from the others and said to them privately, Blessed are you who have been able to see the things that you have seen. Supremely blessed is what that word means. To be privileged, to be so fortunate, because he says, he goes on to tell them, he says, prophets and kings longed to see the things that you've seen and didn't see it, and longed to hear the things that you've heard, and they didn't hear it. You are blessed. And you and I, we could say the same thing today. How blessed we are to be the people of God. How blessed we are to know God, to be loved by God every moment of every day, to have the privilege and the honor to be his disciple to be able to serve the King of kings and Lord of lords every day and to be able to live with kingdom purpose and to be able to find and discover significance and security and satisfaction in our life through him, all through him. How blessed are we? How blessed are we even here to have the word of God at our fingertips? to be able to worship God in a place like this, to be able to pray to God and talk to him about anything at any time, to have a church like this where we can come together as God's people and worship him, to think about the way he's blessed us and blessed through us and to put us in a place now where we're even talking about expansion and, and a, a bigger place for us to meet and, and be back together. I mean, all of these things are just marks and evidences and signs of the blessing and favor of God upon us. We are a blessed people. And Jesus wants to remind us of that. That as we go, verse 3, exclamation, and live every day with kingdom purpose, to keep the fact that if we keep following him, we'll find everything we were looking for on earth in following him. Significance, security, and satisfaction. And that as we go, Jesus is primarily teaching us there will be a mission, there will be a message, 
and there will be a mindset or mood that I'm trying to shape in my disciple. Remember to have a partner. Remember to pray. Remember it's not going to be easy. Travel light. Keep yourself focused. Go in peace. Minister and meet the needs around you. Remind people that the presence of God is amongst them. And be a joyful person who goes through life rejoicing in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. And making sure that everyone around us knows that we consider ourselves blessed. Blessed by God. Will you follow the Lord today as his disciple? I'm going to ask Nicole and our worship team to come now. I'm going to ask you to join me in prayer as you stand and as we close our service out. Would you join me, please? Father, thank you today for being such an amazing God, a God that showers us with blessing and favor more than we could ever imagine. And God, thank you for transcending time and space. For helping us to realize that even something that happened 2,000 years ago with you and 84 other people can still have a great impact on our lives even today. And Lord, I pray that this passage would continue to come alive and light a fire under all of us who hear this message or who are present here today. May all of us, Lord, be willing to follow you and go as your disciple. To realize, Lord, that when we live that way, Lord, we can find significance, we can find security, and we can find satisfaction more than we ever could in anything or anyone else. So, Lord, may we lift up a voice of praise to you here as we rejoice in you and all that we are and all that we have in you. And, Lord, may our time of worship even also be a reflection, Lord, that we realize maybe more than ever just how blessed of a people we are. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.